Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. Armageddon, the final battle. Let's talk about it coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles with Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. Today, we are completing the second phase of our study in the book of Revelation. The middle is the day referring to the day of the Lord. And today, in Revelation chapter 19, we see the final war, Armageddon, the day of the Lord. And this is the culmination of a spiritual battle that started from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Interesting enough, though, here in this account, in Revelation chapter 19 about this final battle, it starts with a wedding feast. Let's read it in Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 1. After this, I heard the sound of a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation is coming from our God. Glory and power belong to him alone. His judgments are just and true. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the murder of his servants. Again and again, their voices rang, Hallelujah! The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God, who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants from the least to the greatest, all who fear him. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a huge crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and honor him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, And his bride has prepared herself. She is permitted to wear the finest white linen. Fine linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. And the angel said, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, don't worship me, for I am a servant of God just like you and other brothers and sisters who testify of their faith in Jesus. Worship God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Ah, the wedding feast of the Lamb, a day we all look forward to as believers, when we finally have sit down with all the other saints from the Old Testament and all the New Testament Christians, and we get to sit down and feast and celebrate the Lamb of God who gave us salvation. Now, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, that will be a great day. And if you notice in this 
reference that we just read, this passage in Revelation 19, it makes it clear this is following at the end of the seven-year period. It's right there at the end of the seven-year period of Jacob's distress, the time of God's judgment on the earth, because it says that he had punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged the murder of his servants. Now, that reference in verse 2 points to a a timeline that we have been following. And so, yes, this is in a chronological order in the book of Revelation, and it is occurring at the end of the seven-year period of Jacob's distress. Well, now, since we are up there, all the believers are up there, whether it be the Old Testament saints, the church, the uh, 144,000 Jewish witnesses, all the people that uh, got saved during the seven-year period because of their testimony, all of them who have been martyred and put to death, they're up there now. Every believer is up there now, from the way I understand this passage, and we are celebrating the feast of the bridal ceremony, the wedding feast of the Lamb. You see, the church is considered the bride of Christ. And it says in this passage that the bride has made herself ready. It says in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and honor him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. So I take that to mean that everyone who is a believer is up there, the entire bride. Also, I think it's interesting to note that John fell down to this angel who made this proclamation about the wedding feast of the Lamb and began to worship him. But the angel said, no, don't do that. I am a fellow servant just like you. We're all brothers and sisters. And you see, that's the exact attitude we are supposed to have as Christians. And it is the exact opposite attitude of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans who formed the clerical hierarchy that became the Roman Catholic Church and that the Protestants are falling into now. And at the time of the events of being, uh, that are prophesied in Revelation occurring sometime in the future, they will make up the false worldwide church that ends up persecuting all the true believers. And the angel is embodying and saying the same philosophy we all need to live by. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or someone who's just a Sunday school teacher. We're all equal. And we need to keep that in mind in the church today. Also, it's interesting that he notes, he says, look, worship God. And he goes on to say the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Now, you see a lot of people on TV today knowing all about future events and predicting the future declaring themselves to be prophets. And I don't like joining in on that. And I never try and declare that I know the future. All I do is look at what the Bible teaches and make the best conclusions based on the evidence in the Bible as the Holy Spirit reveals it during our lifetime. So I try and follow this rule that the essence of prophecy is not predicting uh, future events. No, but it is giving a proper, pure, powerful testimony of the work and lordship of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at another phrase I think is very interesting considering it. this is a ceremony that precedes the awful battle of Armageddon. 
In verse 7, it says, let us be glad and rejoice and honor him, referring to the Lamb of God. Let us be glad and rejoice. And you may say, well, why are people rejoicing? They're fixing to, to see the total destruction of all these unbelievers that have united behind the Antichrist and the Ten Kings and have marched to the Valley of Armageddon for their conflict with, the Jesus, with Jesus, the Lord and Messiah. Why are they rejoicing about this? Well, I think you have to go back to the history of the war to understand it. You have to understand this has been a spiritual war in our entire human existence, like we talked about in the very beginning of our study in Revelation. But just quickly, let's remind ourselves what's going on. Satan was at work at the garden, and he planted the seeds of our destruction then, and all of creation fell. And we believed his lies that through knowledge of good and evil and eating of that fruit that we could become like God's. And he started this rebellion and this desire in all of mankind, our sin nature, to try and usurp God and become gods ourselves. And that is what's culminating here with this false religion and the Antichrist and all that, like we talked about last session. Also, when God separated a group of people so that he could start planning a path of salvation for us, and he separated the Jewish people out, and they became the nation of Israel, uh, the race of people that the Messiah would come from, Satan was always tempting Israel and going after Israel. Satan then went after the Messiah. When Jesus was born, you remember the temptations and all the uh, conflicts that he was bringing up against Jesus with the Pharisees. And then Satan fell for the greatest secret plan ever. He thought he was having victory when he got the crowd to yell out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But in reality, that was God's secret war plan. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be set free. And he rose again on the third day to prove that that payment was sufficient. And then the church was born through the ministry of the apostles and all the first-generation Christians. And Satan waged war against the churches. And you can read that in the book of Acts and all through the New Testament. And then finally, we ended up through 2,000 years of church history, we ended up with two parallel churches. One is the true church, represented by the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And the Philadelphia church represents the Great Commission church, the one that has taken the gospel to every corner of the world. The true church, who is filled with true believers, bond slaves of Jesus, who are trying to spread the gospel to every person in this world. But alongside that true church, running parallel to it, is the false church, the apostate church, which was typified in the letter to the church of Laodicea, a church that is pompous and thinks they don't, they think they don't need anything from God. But in reality, they're blind and naked and they need to repent and find salvation. And so that is what's going on now in human history. This parallel course of the false teaching, the false teachers, the false theology that has crept into the church, especially here in America, in a lot of the mainline churches, but also throughout the history with the Roman Catholic Church. But running alongside that 
is the remnant. The true believers, we are a small group, but God has set doors before us that will not be shut. And we can spread the gospel to all our friends and loved ones. And one day we'll spread it to every facet of the world. But that will come under persecution. And that's the whole reason I started this study. It's because, you see, we need to learn the truth, especially in the churches in America. Most people teach, especially in America, that the church will just have a happy existence, have a great uh, existence here on earth, like one wonderful picnic, and then we will be raptured and go to heaven. That's not what we've learned in our study. And I've shown you all the evidence the seals, it appears very clearly, I think, from all the evidence in the scripture that we've looked at. It's heavy on the side of evidence that the seals are the last days of the church. You see, remember this, it mirrors the old feast of trumpets that the Jewish people had, that they believed that there was a time before the Day of Atonement that the book was sealed and all the righteous names of the people were sealed in the book. And that was what the celebration of the trumpets was all about, echoing that new year, a new start, but all the names of the righteous people were sealed. And that to me is talking about the rapture when the church is taken home. Because the second part of this celebration is they believed that the days between the uh, Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement was giving time for people to have a second chance, if you will, a second chance to turn to God and repent. And this mirrors the seven-year period of Jacob's distress, the time of God's judgment, where the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments occur. And it's always trying to get people to repent, as we've learned, and turn to God. So the last days of the church are filled with trouble, filled with dis, uh, discomfort for the church, and we must rise to the occasion. We will go through uh, the first seal. We'll see the rise of the world government. I don't think it's happened yet, obviously, but I do think the seeds have been planted. And I would not be surprised if it happens in our lifetime, the rise of the worldwide government in the first seal. Then the second seal, bloodshed, where everyone's just attacking everyone and wars are going on throughout the world in a, just an unusual degree. Then the third seal, and that third horseman rides out with famine. And we learn how this is probably going to be an economic famine, that the rich will be able to get the food, but not the poor. And then the fourth seal, the one that has scared us all so much this past year, is when 25% of the world's population dies. And we saw maybe a little inkling of the potential of what a plague can do with COVID. And like I said before, the numbers are not there. We have not lost 25% of the world's population, thank God. And so this isn't the fourth seal. It's not one of the plagues mentioned. But it's showing us what could happen in the future, I think. And we need to take note of that. And then finally, the fifth seal. When the church is persecuted and Satan is going after the last day saints and his 
uh, worldwide government is starting to fight against the Christians. And I think this will be the beginning of that worldwide religion rising up too. And anyone that wants that won't uh, bow down to their false teaching, anyone who says Jesus is the only way to heaven and that he is the only savior of mankind. When people say that, they will hunt them down. Christians will be hunted down and imprisoned and executed. And it'll be the worst uh, persecution ever in Christian history. It's what the Bible calls the great tribulation, the thalipsis the persecution. And you remember, we've talked about that in the past. And so all of that is leading up uh, to the last days of the church, and then finally the rapture. And then what happens after the rapture? The war continues. God allows things to happen. He brings judgment upon the earth in hopes that people will repent. He has the 144,000 witnesses spreading the gospel, but Satan is attacking them and trying to persecute them and wipe out everybody who believes in Christ. Anybody who doesn't worship the Antichrist and the beast and the mark, take the mark of his name will be executed and it will all be sanctioned by the false world religion led by the false prophet. And those trumpets and bowls are all by, about God trying to get people to repent. But what happens, as we've learned, because of Satan's influence and the worship of demons that is going on and all the demonic influence that we studied about in the trumpets and the bowls, what do they do? They harden their hearts and they shake their fists at God and they say, we will not believe. And they refuse to repent of their sins and the worship of the dragon, Satan himself. And yet in their mind, that nagging uh, image is still in their brain when they saw the rapture of the church. And out of fear, all the 10 kings and all the people of the world that have taken the mark, they unite against Jesus and they follow in unity behind the Antichrist. And like we saw, they start marching to the valley of Armageddon to have a battle with Jesus, to overthrow him and be free from God. And so that they themselves can be their own God, just like Satan promised them in the garden. And that is why the people rejoice, because this war is been going on for our entire existence as mankind. And we now have a chance to see the enemy defeated and it will come to an end. And so all of heaven, all the believers, all the angels, all the 24 elders, all the four beings up there, all of heaven rejoices that Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, is fixing to stop it all at Armageddon. Now let's read about this in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. The battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there, and the one sitting on the horse was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and then goes to war. His eyes were bright like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him, and only he knew what it meant. 
He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, and with it he struck down the nations. He ruled them with an iron rod, and he trod the winepress of the fierce wrath of the Almighty God. On his robe and thigh was written this title, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, captains, and strong warriors of horses and their riders, of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beasts gathering the kings of the earth and their armies in order to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came out of the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And all the vultures of the sky gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Wow, the battle of Armageddon, the final battle between God and his righteousness and Satan and the wicked. You know, what's interesting to note, I think, the first thing is that the Lord Jesus is presented as a warrior. And we've talked about this before in our early sessions, especially when we talked about the spiritual war. The Lord is a warrior, and he was revealed as that in the beginning of the book of Revelation. He is a warrior, and this comes from Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. Let me read that to you. Exodus 15, verse 3. This is the song that Moses wrote and that the people sang after God rescued them from the Egyptians right there at the Red Sea, and he parted the Red Sea so they could cross. And the Egyptian soldiers tried following, and the sea closed up again on them and defeated the enemy. Well, this is what the song that and is credited to Moses is called the Song of Moses. And this is uh, what they sang uh, afterwards. In verse 3, it says, The Lord is a warrior. Yes, the Lord is his name. So you see, Jesus is showing himself again as a warrior here. In uh, verse 11, it says, he judges fairly and then goes to war. Verse 12, his eyes were bright like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. Yes, our Lord is a warrior. And he will come back with his just reward, which is destruction against the enemies of God. He will come back as a just king, but as a warrior, and defeat the enemy. And they will finally have to meet their end and see the Lord Jesus himself, the one that they feared ever since the rapture for the last seven years, the one that they rose up against and united behind the Antichrist and the dragon and the false prophet to rebel against. Now, what I think is interesting here also, it talks about the armies of heaven, verse 14. The armies of heaven dressed in pure white linen. 
And if you remember, uh, just a few verses earlier, in verse 8, it had a parenthetical thought. It said, fine linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. So is the army of heaven including not just the angels, but the people of God? I don't know. I kind of think not. I kind of think this is just the angels, the armies of heaven, which is a nickname for all the he- uh, all the angels. In fact, in the Old Testament, he was often called, the, the, a nickname for God was called the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all the armies of heaven. So I think it's probably just the angels and Jesus coming down, him riding on this white horse and with flames in his eyes, fixing to go to war against the evil one. But I'll be honest with you, I hope I'm wrong with that interpretation. I hope we get to take part in that battle. To me, that would be a very fitting closure for a lot of us that have labored so diligently in our time here on earth. It would be a a nice closure to the whole situation. But to be honest with you, I think it's probably just Jesus and his angels. But it's also interesting to note that when he comes with all this wrath and judgment of God, it says in verse 15 that he ruled them with an iron rod. In other words, he was a king and he trod the winepress of the fierce wrath of Almighty God. This is the grapes of wrath that we had talked about earlier. In Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, it talks about that. It says this, Then I saw the Son of Man sitting on a white cloud. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then an angel came from the temple and called out in a loud voice to the one sitting on the cloud, Use the sickle, for the time has come for you to harvest. The crop is ripe on the earth. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. And it skips down to 18. Then another angel, who has power to destroy the world with fire, shouted to the angel with a sickle, Use your sickle now to gather the cluster of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are fully ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle on the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. And the grapes were trodden in the winepress outside the city, and the blood from the winepress flowed in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. So this is referring to that, his fixing to squeeze out the grapes of wrath, and the blood is fixing to flow. This also refers back to Psalm uh, 75, verse 8. Psalm 75, verse 8 also talks about the grapes of wrath. It says this in Psalm 75, verse 8, For the Lord holds a cup in his hand. It is full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours the wine out in judgment, and all the wicked must drink it, draining it to the dregs. So Jesus is coming back as a warrior, and he will allow God's wrath to come upon evil once and for all, all the unrighteous, and they will have to drink the the grapes of wrath of his cup, the cup of his wrath, right down to the dregs. But note also, it's not just Jesus and the armies of heaven destroying all these people. All of nature gets invited to this 
battle also. It is called the banquet, the great banquet of the Lord, and it's for all the vultures and the wild beasts of the field. And the angel cries out to him, come, come and feast on the bodies of the enemies of God. And they come and they feast on all the bodies after Jesus slays them. And it appears that he it's not a traditional battle. It talks about his sword coming from his mouth. Most people interpret that as saying he just speaks destruction and they die. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens when it happens. And whether we're there at it or watching from heaven as the bride of Christ, we'll know how it works out. But Jesus does destroy them all. In fact, it says in verse 20 that the beast was captured. In other words, the leader of that one world government, the beast that came out of the sea, that leader, which John nicknamed the Antichrist in his epistles, and that's what we've called him. The Antichrist is captured. And with him, the false prophet who did all those false miracles on behalf of the beast, both of them, those co-leaders and co-rivals of the worldwide government and the worldwide religion, they're both captured. And look what happens. They are thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. In other words, they're thrown alive into hell. And people who think hell is not a reality, I'm telling you, it is. And we'll see that later on when there's, John goes into a description of hell on Judgment Day. But notice also, it's not just that the beast or the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into hell. It says in verse 21, their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came out of the mouth of the one riding on the white horse. And all the vultures of the sky gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Wow. What a battle. What a horrible end to all the evil, but it's a just end. It's an end they deserved because they had chance after chance after chance. As my grandma used to say, umpteen chances to repent, and they didn't. And they chose instead to rebel against God and attack the Messiah, Jesus, the King of Kings. And so that's how the chapter ends. That's how the battle of Armageddon ends. It starts with a wedding feast, and it ends with the vultures eating the bodies, gorging themselves on the bodies of the Lord's enemies. And that kind of brings us right back to the title of this Bible study, doesn't it? Dreams or Nightmares, a study on the end of the age. Dreams or nightmares. And you know something? That is the message all through this prophetic book. Just like the angel said, the essence of prophecy is giving a clear witness of Jesus. And all through this book, there is that choice of a dream or a nightmare being presented to everyone who reads this book. Everyone who hears this message is presented to either have the dream existence of being a Christian where Jesus forgives you of your sins and saves you and that you know, even if you go through dark times on earth, even if you are one of the ones on the last days that goes through the seals, you know that you will be raptured and spend eternity in heaven. You know that. That's the choice of the dream. But then the other choice, the nightmare. If you continue to rebel against God, 
If people continue to shake their fists at God instead of repenting, but rebel, just like our society's doing now. And if they continue, soon a wicked leader will rise up who's empowered by the dread dragon, Satan himself, and they will go astray and they will rebel against God right up to the end. And instead of choosing life, they will choose death and be slaughtered in the valley of Armageddon and all the wild animals will feast on their bones. And then they face an eternity in hell. That's the choice of the book of Revelation, dream or nightmare. And that's the choice every person is faced on earth. From the time that you're born to the time that you die, you have a choice. You can choose life in Christ or death in your own hatred of God and your rebellion against God. It's your choice. And I pray you choose life, the dream, because I would love to be sitting at the banquet table, the bridal feast, and get to know you in person and talk to you just like we can talk to all our loved ones and all the great heroes of faith. That will be a glorious day, and I hope you share it. So until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.